0: on another journey of Conversations on the Fringe.
1: All right, good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. My name is Josh, that's Vince Tagliavia. This is the Red Pill Project's Conversations on the Fringe, live with you every Friday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is where we uh, take a break from the politics, from the the hunt on the new world order, and take a break from kind of even just Thinking about the uh, massive atrocities that are being committed across this world, and we we expand our mind into the the deep ocean of mystery, and we look at things that typically normal people don't have conversations about. And tonight, we're going to be looking at the best of conversation on the fringe. We did this a few weeks ago, and uh, had a great time doing it. Actually, we only we had like ten clips, we only got through like three. And so mm-hmm. it, it definitely increases the conversation and levels of topic. And so tonight we're going we're gonna to be watching a few clips from past episodes. And, and me and Vince will discuss those topics at hand. And, and you guys are welcome to chime in as well. Bring your questions. If you have a question or anything of that nature, we can bring it right up on the screen because we, uh, we got some cool functionality now. Excuse me. All right. Vince, how you doing?
2: I'm doing Top drawer over here from Washington State. You know, can't complain. Could always be worse. Happy it's Friday. I love Fringe and the weekend, so I always look forward to it. Very thanks cool. for having me. Oh,
1: I'm glad you joined me. And for everybody out there, if you're wondering what we're looking at right now, Ooh. this looks like a a artist impressionation, but this is actually a uh, an image taken by. The James Webb Space Telescope of Uranus and its rings, which I find really interesting. I and mean, it, it looks like uh, th- the problem with a lot of these telescopes like this is that the closer the objects are in distance, it harder is to really focus in on them. Because when I mean, you imagine a James Webb telescope like that, you should be able to get a crystal clear photo of something like that. But apparently, not, right? I mean, gosh. gosh.
2: Yeah, you know, I just, without the video, that sounds very <laughs> suspect. It, but, it, yeah, it, dude, that's really an amazing cut. picture. Absolutely beautiful. So space. this was
1: interesting today. Okay. So you had Intelsat IS-40-E from uh, SpaceX that was uh, released today. This is a, a satellite that was launched. And I want yeah. everybody to watch this video and take a look at this and tell me what's wrong. What do you, what do you see here? Okay? And I'm going to try to blow this up. I'm going to get rid of me and Vince. I'm still here. Yep, watch this video and check it out.
3: Hello, it's separation confirmed.
4: A beautiful view there as you can see, and as we heard called out, successful confirmation of the Intel sat
1: So watching this video here, we see some problems already. If you're watching this video, this is supposed to be live in space. So firstly, the glass has some, looks like some liquid vapor on it. Doesn't it, Vince?
2: Yeah, a little bit of spoo, something on there.
1: Yeah. But then just watch because you start seeing these objects fly by. Those aren't stars. You see that right there?
2: Yep. There's one light on the right.
1: Then there's another one right
2: there, and it's Bright, you, can, light.
1: you can literally see it twisting away.
2: Oh yeah, it's rotating.
1: Yeah. Now watch this towards the end. Okay, watch down where the speed and altitude are, and nobody's gonna be able to see this because that's where our camera angles are. Oh, hold on. Let me do this. Let me let me let's bring us up to the side like this. There we go. And of course, it uh it doesn't want to work now. Okay. Let's bring this back up here, Elon must know that I'm calling SpaceX out here.
2: I guess I saw that he was having a there's a little there's a little glitch with uh, Starlink today as well,
1: yeah, so you got those objects right there now watch right in this area right here where the thirty three eight one one Sonian tempo payload Oh, did you see it?
2: Mm, yes. yeah it
1: What the hell was that? This is in space, guys, you see that little right there right there that yeah, little yeah. object. I know it's hard to see cuz it's at the bottom of the screen. But what I actually did is I went out and jifted, okay?
2: Nice.
1: So I went out and jifted and if you just look at that jift, you'll see right where that arrow's pointing, boom. Boom. What the hell is that?
2: Oh, uh, could be a Chinese spy balloon. I don't know. It's a piece of dust in front of the camera. So This looks like a big object.
1: This is interesting because, you know, this is the type of things that flat earthers come out. And they're like, dude, NASA's fake. They're underwater. And you look at something like that and you're like, dude, there's water on the camera. (laughs) Like, there's water on the camera. Are those water droplets flying or particulates, right? Um, Now, honestly, I don't think it's water. And the reason I say that is because if you look at how the satellite's detaching and moving away, in water, it wouldn't do that. It would actually sink. Right, even if it was kind of full with air, but mm-hmm. um, did, did SpaceX catch a UFO on their cameras? It's and possible I think, for me. I think it's safe to say that they caught three of them. And, and if you go back to this GIF, you can actually see that other object, the one white one right there in the middle, right under that. It's moving away right there. So it's not a star, it's moving. And they can say, well, Josh, the, the spaceship is moving away. That's why. Yeah, but still, if that's a star, it's a fixed position, it's billions of miles away, trillions of miles away, you're not going to have that. So right. nobody answered me either when I said, hey, what is that?
2: Nobody knows.
1: What the hell is that? So pretty interesting that they caught a UFO. That's uh, I don't know. I, I, th- I find it crazy.
2: It's pretty interesting. It just... The whole alien thing, man. I think maybe that's the next uh, move. I, I always think that. Maybe that's the next move. Is aliens next? Is it zombies? Is
1: alien next? Are they
2: going to go to the fringe to just put the icing on the cake? The fringe icing? It's possible, man.
1: I mean, some people are like, dude, are there bubbles? You know, I don't think there are bubbles mm-hmm. because bubbles don't spin. Mm-hmm. That one is definitely good. spinning like that. So definitely with some type of solid object moving. And and that type of rotation is typical of what you see with various different satellites in space. So, I mean, they could have been satellites, but then then look at the the size differential,
2: right? Well, it's hard so, to tell too. Perspective, and you can, so if it's a small object up close or a large object in the distance. Um, yeah, but but
1: I don't know. Who knows what it is? It it could be yeah. it could be anything. So there's a lot of stuff out there that we don't understand and oh, yeah. you know i think that that's probably the greatest mystery in the universe right now or at least in in our minds here on this planet is that the truth is probably stranger than we could ever imagine but i'm okay with understanding that the truth is far stranger than we can ever imagine i just want to know what it is
2: yeah it really would be cool wouldn't it But I wonder if it's one of those things where it's like, once you know, it's no big deal. (laughs) Yeah. uh,
1: Five, ten years after the disclosure, you're like, yeah,
2: kind of cool, isn't it? (laughs) Remember when we weren't talking to aliens every day? It's it's like cell phones, right? Yeah.
1: Because once they're around, you're like, yeah, it's just a cell phone, dude. No, you're like, I can't
2: leave my house without my cell phone. Yeah. All
1: right, let's go to our first clip. And uh, this is myself and Ben Stewart. And let's watch this one right here. Look how young. Oh, my goodness. I look young. That's, that can't be that long ago. All right. Let's check this clip out.
5: Mm.
0: Yeah, man. I take people through. Um, it's interesting. No matter what their obstacle is or block is, it's usually they have a representative for it, a psychological representative. Mm -hmm. So I take people through guided meditation sometimes. And what I normally do is I, I lead them along a trail or into a cave system that's very rich and dynamic. And they come up upon certain objects every now and then. Sometimes it's a key. And I have them describe the key to me. Is it, is it a rusty one? Is it a tiny one? Is it like a conventional door kind of one? Or is it one of those big skeleton key ones? And then, you know, I had people happen upon a cup. I have them explain the cup to me. Is it, is it just like a little half broken old trinket or is it a goblet made of gold? and all of these little things you know what's interesting is like the key is usually what people find to be their own value Mm -hmm. and this is a subconscious thing across the board people will kind of put their own value into that key their potential to unlock more potential that's their value and the same thing with a cup it's like emotional energy if you look at tarot so like what what is the vessel for your emotional flow is it you know is it full uh is it rusty all those things and we imbue these things usually with very similar qualities and attributes as other people but we will change the look of these objects and that will represent something about how we feel about ourselves Hmm. so what i do is i just use that as information that kind of shows what i feel they are troubled with and i help them reconnect some of these things with what they would like instead of what they feel like they're plagued with because most people feel like we are doomed to the history that we remember and really like uh, this is one of those interesting things about what we've been taught about ourselves is that there's one external objective reality that there, we are not co-collaborative creators on that. We are just victims of whatever that is. And it's like we're in this cold, hard science universe and we don't get to create anything. So what I notice is the more that I have people step into engaging with their own inner world and tweaking it here, there, and everywhere, it actually naturally, I don't have to cause them or tell them how to make it back out of that cave you know, and having changed their lives, they just seem to get it. Mm-hmm. And then I don't tinker with anything inside there either. So I notice that all I'm helping them do is come to find what they're doing to the value and the quality of these, um, these keys and elements and these cups and these things. And so what naturally happens is their own balancing psychic energy, the same psychic energy that works in our dreams, I have them work with that to reestablish what it is they have an inner sense of as balance. So that's what I've found is I like I don't have to go in and tinker with them. It's not like Ben Stewart is going in and making them better people. They're doing it themselves. I'm just introducing them to the inner territory. Yeah. So that's kind of what's turning into what I believe to be the mystery school. You know, I've I've spoken about mystery schools throughout history or throughout like the past 10, 15 years. But what I noticed is that even in the early part of my career, if I speak about the mystery schools, it's almost like I had to f- find research to point to something external and outside of ourselves. And I'm starting to realize more and more is that we each bring an aspect of the mystery school to it as well. We're not just victims of whatever this mystery school was. It's not a concrete objective reality outside of us it's also co-created by us Mm.
1: well (laughs) well said ben what are your thoughts on that vince
2: oh man well um when i went through to clip these by the way i came across some old shows and stuff and you because you mentioned first off man look how young i look and even just clips from a year ago i was doing the same thing like our halloween uh our halloween episode and stuff and i was just kind of laughing and reminiscing going back through but ben he's got some interesting things to say there and i love this self-help stuff because i'm always trying to better myself and i love that he helps people with that in the very modern type of way where he goes into the psyche he does these meditations he gives it his best shot and people actually improve on their own just by having the conversation, kind of like a therapy. But when he said he takes them through this meditation and he has them go through a cave system that they imagine. uh, First of all, it reminds me of your house meditation. Second of all, he says that they come across a key and that key is kind of like their, their potential of what they think their life could be. When he first said key, I kind of imagined a little bit of an ornate skeleton key type thing. And then Mm -hmm. he continued. I wanted to ask you what came to your mind. And for the cup, just right when he mentioned it, I think of like a copper cup with a little handle. So what about you? And I think it's an interesting concept that could have some. Great, great, dude. So.
1: Um, When he mentioned the cave system, I remember this episode. This is a great episode on on the the mentality of spirituality. Um, What he's talking about here is is really reminiscent of kind of uh, Plato's cave. Uh, The whole paradox of Plato's cave is you have three men chained and locked behind a wall in a cave. There's a door on the other side of the wall that lets sunshine in. And the men, they live their whole lives in this cave. Only see in the shadows of the outside world on the cave and believe that those shadows are the world. So that was the first thing that came to my mind. And this meditation he organizes very similar to this. And but what happens is, is when you go through this cave, you discover certain things about yourself. Self, and these are derived from the archetypes in the mind that are relayed through emotional anchors. Okay, and so when he said key. The first thing I thought of was a wooden skeleton key, brown wooden skeleton key. Wow! When he said um, "cup," actually, what flashed in my mind was Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, and them picking up the Chalice of Jesus, the Ooh, Carpenter's Cup, that's and that's just one. what came to my mind when they yeah. said those. And it, interesting enough, today is Good Friday. Happy Good oh Friday, everybody! Gosh.
2: Thank you. Um,
1: and uh, the the work is done, right? It, 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 it has been done. Um, and, uh, you know, I, 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 when I think about, and I'll talk about Good Friday in a minute, but when I think about what he was saying there is that there's this archetypical nature that we can go through within our own exo- esoteric centers. That within each and one of us is a mystery waiting to be unlocked that helps unlock the consensus mystery of who and what we are and our roles in this universe. And I think that uh, we should all deep dive into ourselves and truly try to discover these mysteries. Um, and if you guys, benjosephstuart.com, check him out. He's, he's oh, man. phenomenal. Um, good good uh, good guy right there. So what are your thoughts? So, so tell me your thoughts, because, I mean, that's what I saw. I saw the wooden chalice, the Carpenters' Cup, and I saw a wooden, and it's interesting, it's wooden
2: wood, but a wooden skeleton key. Yeah, that's a, the wooden skeleton key, I don't know what to think of that. That's like, I'd never even seen such a thing, even in a movie. I don't think it's odd, but, um, you know, I just think it's a interesting exercise and I would actually, I'm, I would love to do something like that. And, uh, it reminds me of a, a technique used to remember things that I once heard and it was, uh, imagining a mansion, imagine a mansion and that it's always the same mansion. So basically, you build a mansion in your mind. Yep. With a big, elaborate entryway, and uh, just like a dream mansion. And you have to create this in your mind and remember it. And in each room, you could place objects. Yes. And so when you're being told things, you could just go throughout your, go throughout your mansion in your mind. And place objects to help you remember things uh, like if a bunch of people are telling you their name or something like this, you could use this for association to bring back uh, memories, increasing your short term memory and this kind of thing, which I thought is just fascinating, a fascinating thing that your mind can do. Whereas if it's just a list, you can't really just do that unless you're extremely gifted. Oh,
1: I like what you said. And when we used to do the Sunday, uh, spiritual meditations, um, there, there was one thing that I incorporated that I used to do a lot. Um, when I was in coaching and consulting with, uh, business leaders and stuff. And, and this was specific because what it was is, um, I told everybody that inside your mind, you have a place and think of this place as a mansion or as a house. And most of us dwell in the lower rooms of this house. And I what I want you to do is I want you to imagine this house and you're going upstairs and there's a room. And you walk into this room and inside this room, this is where you put all these things that bother you, all these stresses of life, all these things that bring you tension. And I want you to go into the room and I want you to look at how cluttered and stacked it is or or how disorganized it is. And I want you to go in there. And I want you to start picking up the objects and start moving them around. I want you to start cleaning up that room. And at the same time, while you're cleaning up the room, I want you to open the windows. Get a breeze flowing through that room. Pick up the objects. Look at it. See what it means to you. Right? And then I said, there's an attic. And you can go to the door of the attic. And, the, and when you open the door to the attic, the steps are usually going to be really, really steep. But when you go up there, you're going to find various different boxes stored away that are sealed and you're going to see a mystery chest and inside that mystery chest, you can unlock it and there's going to be all different types of of new things awakening for you. And so I, I like that example in the sense of meditation.
2: Yeah. It's um, so fun. I wonder if you could do that by yourself. I'm sure you can, if you have some kind of guidance. Yeah. Yeah. The mind fascinates me, man. I love that stuff. <clears throat> and he ended talking about being actually kind of uh, not basically, it reminds me of, I say it all the time, not to be a victim, especially in the times we live in and that we actually are creators in this universe and that we have so much potential to do so many things, but we get stuck in these, in these, Mind loops, or we just get stuck in these mindsets where that's just not the case, and we just become victims of our surroundings. That's why when I come across something shitty and tell me I, this might be a bad habit or this might be uh cowardly or whatever, I'll leave, I just leave, I'll disappear, and I'll find myself in a better place where I'm happier. That happens if there's an ounce of uncomfortability of somebody I don't want to hang out with anything like that. I just leave. I'm like this. I'm done. Bye. And I love that. And he said, as it pertains to the mystery schools that you're a part of that too. Mm-hmm. Well, Which we all are. We
1: all are. And yeah. I, I think that's what all good religion was trying to explain to us is that deep down inside of us is the truth of who and what we are and that we have to we have to extrapolate it out of ourselves through inquiry and discovery. Um, I talked to my mother today, and I hadn't talked to my mother in, in probably about a month. And it was a really good conversation. It was like a two-hour conversation. It was great. She's probably listening now. Oh, good. But um, you know, I- I've said this before. We have like very, very old blood in my family, right? And, yeah. Uh, very special blood, I guess. Is we have psychic inclinations, these types of things. My mother's very prophetic in a Christian sense. Um, she teaches the Bible, she teaches prophecy, she teaches all these different things. And, and every time I listen to her, it, it, she she's teaching me something, right? And yeah. today was one of the first times that we talked that we actually agreed on everything. Mm-hmm. and she's she's talking about, you know, it's Good Friday, Jesus resurrection. Um uh, we're talking about prophecy and revelation. And we actually were agreeing, and it was quite interesting. I actually introduced her to the pineal gland. I showed her the correlation to world Jesus' world verse in the sense of let thy eye be single, the body shall fill with light. I gave her the meaning of light in the uh, the Bible as meaning the soul. She agreed with that. She completely understood it. And um, we were talking a little bit about fertility goddesses and that type of stuff and how all that came about. Um, for wow. For... You know the Easter is Sunday and Easter yeah. represents the, the rising of Jesus from the tomb. Um, also, when we look at this, is if we go pre Christianity or pre um, New Testament, if you want to look at it mm-hmm. like that, you have various different cultures who celebrated the same time Easter, um, after Passover. So, basically, if you look at it in, in an astral theological point of view, is you have the Sun and Saturn. They, they do this battle every day. So basically what happens is for 40 days and 40 nights, Saturn rises before the sun. Okay. It's weird. I don't have a QR code up. Uh, Saturn rises before the sun for 40 days and 40 nights. And then Saturn goes away and Venus starts rising. Now, Venus is known as the bringer of light. It's known as the morning star. Right. So what, what does that sound like? Right. Prometheus is the masculine variation of Venus. We have um, Ishtar, which can be the the female derivation of Venus, but it represents that Passover has occurred, that the sun has passed over, what's known as the Tropic of Capricorn. All right. And so when the the Jews they calculate Passover, what they're actually calculating is the time at when the sun will pass over on its rising the Tropic of Capricorn. Why does that matter? Because I've always talked about the analemma through the sky. Mm. And really what it is, is that the sun increases one degree every day in the sky, which means that there's, as you move into spring and summer, there's more light increasing every day. Well, light overtakes darkness from dark, to light, right? The days are shorter up until Passover and the days start getting longer. That is the tipping point. That is the literal mathematical point where the days begin longer than the nighttime
2: literally day by day a little bit longer yeah yeah i love it
1: so when you start looking at it like this this is kind of where a lot of this mythology um actually derives from but so yeah. if you go and in, 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 I, I saw someone mention that the the the, the, the uh, fertility goddess is not mentioned in the bible actually she is if you go to genesis 7 or if you go to revelation 17 mm-hmm. and you go to 11, revelation 17 3 then the air, angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness there I saw a woman sk- sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering, glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She had held a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. Her name written on her forehead was a mystery with a X right there in the forehead. Babylon, the great mother of prostitutes and the abomination of the earth. Now, who is this woman in Babylon? Now, this is interesting because, firstly, there's a lot of correlation here in the sense of of, you have to go back to Babylon. Nimrod, right? Nimrod's wife was Ishtar. Ishtar was a predominant goddess that was worshipped in Babylon during this time. So when they say, because we have the Tower of Babel, now Babel in, in Hebrew is Bab and El, so two words. And if you look these up in Hebrew, they translate to Gate of God. God's gate, okay? And so it's not talking about language. It's talking about the gateway to God. And so God came down and destroyed the Tower of Babel. But what God? Hmm. The God of Babylon. The God of Babylon, the goddess of Babylon at the time was Ishtar. Ishtar destroyed the Tower of Babel. This is why she was recognized as an abomination. And this is why you see this. Now, if I ask you, if you go to like various different mythologies and I say, what was the color of the third eye?
2: Oh, interesting. What do they say? Well,
1: what they say, it's purple. I don't know. Lavender. Yeah. Indigo. Right.
2: Okay. So the woman
1: was dressed in purple and scarlet. Oh, purple and scarlet is, indigo, is, is, is. So, so, and she wore upon her forehead, the word mystery. There's an X across her forehead right here. The reason is, is because she got rid of the gate to God, the gate of communication between God.
2: Whoa.
1: Yeah. And, and so
2: that's pretty dark. Um,
1: well, in the way she did it. And, and, and so here's the thing Ishtar yeah. is nothing more than Samarsis, is nothing more than, um, than Athena or Minerva or Isis in Egyptian mythology. Isis mm-hmm. wore a veil that hid the secrets in the wisdom of the universe behind her eyes. Um, Athena and Minerva, they were born out of the third eye of Zeus and contained all the knowledge of all the gods, and they hid it into the, the darkness because mm-hmm. they didn't trust mankind with the knowledge. So when you start looking, at that perspective, what they're talking about is that the hidden occulted knowledge, the the communication or relationship with God is directed through your third eye. And the knowledge of the third eye, how to awaken it, all this stuff was hidden from man. So when Jesus says, let thine, thine eye be single and the body shall fill with light, the light is the soul. The body shall fill with the soul, the spirit of God. And so in, in Revelation 17, "The prostitute of the Beast," you got to remember, prostitutes back then did not mean prostitutes now.
2: Oh, really? OK I was wondering about that.: oh, Yeah.
1: They, they, it represented more in the sense of fertility. OK <laughs> than it does a, a profession of horish,
2: hoarseness. Oh, so it's like a fertile woman, a prostitute?
1: Right. Uh, exactly. So Ishtar is the one that destroys the Tower of Babel, which is not necessarily a real tower but instead the knowledge pertaining to the third eye, which separates man from God. Interesting. Yeah, pretty mind-blowing, How, huh?
2: Yeah, it's very fascinating. How do you interpret this seven heads, ten horns situation?
1: Well, that's interesting. Samaricis. Right? Uh, Samaricis, yeah. Samaricis, Um, She had a crown of seven golden, uh, golden rays. Okay. Oh. So this is representative of Venus, the planet Venus. But there's a lot of derivations of where these ideas come from. Um, sure. All of these goddesses, by the way, okay, are the carriers of the light, the light or the fire. Prometheus, the fire bearer, were meant to be the carriers of knowledge in the ancient world, in occultism or even pre Christianity, right? So the word Easter. Easter. is actually the word East Star.
2: East star or Ishtar?
1: Or Ish Star, East Star, which is Venus. Now, many people won't like me for this tonight. But that's also the bringer of light, the morning light, that is also known as in, in various older occult traditions, that's known as Lucifer. The mm-hmm. masculine derivation of that. Mm -hmm. That was God's first angel. The reason it was God's first angel because the sun rises and first in front of him is Venus rising at the time of fertility.
2: It's fascinating because the connections between the astrology and these stories, whether it be the Bible or other ancient stories, it just coincides perfect over and over and over again to the point where it's undeniable that this is the purpose of the stories, maybe to tell these uh, astrological events, right?
1: Well, it's astrological, but anything that's astrological or Mm -hmm. uh, astronomical, right, is also internal. Mm -hmm. And so right now we're moving into um, the rebirth of nature, right? Not only is that happening in nature, it's also happening in various forms in the universe, and it's also happening internal to us. Right now the cells within our body are, are revitalizing. Because the sun is coming back into play.
2: So you're saying that there is. Uh, it's important what's happening it with is. the spiritual bodies.
1: That's right. And and you can even go to Jesus. And w- w- I'm not going to sit here and argue with people. I do believe that Jesus was crucified on the cross. I do yeah, believe, I he, was believe. Tomb and he, he was resurrected. Sure, um, I
2: believe he was. A, yeah. Absolutely. Well, so.
1: but, but that is also metaphorically talking about that part inside of all of us how we resurrect within ourselves every springtime through the new the new light coming from the reborn again sun in the sky
2: oh man i can't wait i love this time of year i tell you what oh i do too i you know i
1: what? like two times a year
2: i like fall and i like spring you know man,
1: i look at summer this. and winter as two extremes and then fall and spring is a perfect balance
2: Absolutely. Such a great time, so much opportunity, such a busy time every yeah. year. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it.
1: And we can maybe talk more on that conversation. Uh, we can talk more on that conversation if, if people want to go that route. Uh, I want to make an announcement, though. Tonight we do have um, after um, Fringe After Dark. So Fringe After Dark tonight on Zoom. Um, all you have to do is be a member of the social redpill.com. Completely free to join tonight. Um, people are asking me, when are you gonna go back to a paid membership for that? Um, well, it kind of semi semi is, but we um we have opened it up to kind of gain support for it and get people out there. So we're gonna keep it free for the time being. So Fringe After Dark, if you guys want to check that out, uh, socialredpill.com, you just go ahead and scan that QR code on the screen or just visit socialredpill.com. It might take you to the Mighty Networks app. Just go ahead and join that. And then when you get in there, if you go to the events tab. Ah, uh, you're gonna see uh, a social red pill Zoom. That's typically where we are every night. There's a Zoom every night, and that's where we'll be for after dark chat tonight. So you guys can join in with that. Um, and what the conversation is, I don't know, but it is whiskey Friday. So oh, a, I
2: need to go to the store get a little bit of whiskey. I kind of wanted to have a drink tonight. Maybe uh maybe a big old cigar. I oh, know. I love cigars. We'll see what happens.
1: I love cigars. But let's go to uh, J. J Marvin Herndon for our next clip. And here we go. I look skinnier in this one.
4: One thing I think um, that uh, I, I'd like to point out. Yeah. Uh, how I got uh, on the fringe, so to speak. Uh, I, I was chosen to be very well trained. After I got my PhD in nuclear chemistry, uh, two aged uh, scientists of world renown decided that uh, I could learn from them, and so for three years that's what I did, and I learned a lot. And it was a blessing, but it was also a curse because right then the the whole science community was moving toward the big money, mm-hmm. and. Uh, the ideas that, that happened, you, you don't, uh, if you're getting money from the government, you, you don't criticize the government. You don't criticize your colleagues because they may be reviewing your proposals anonymously. And that was all alien to me because my, my whole focus was on learning the true nature of the earth and the universe. That's, uh, and, and the word truth is important. Well, I uh, in 1979. I realized that the inner core of the earth wasn't quite what people had thought for 40 years. And I wrote up the logical derivation of it. I showed it to Nobel Laureate Harold Urey. And he communicated that to the proceedings of the Royal Society of London, a very prestigious place. Well, while it was being reviewed and so forth and ultimately accepted for publication, I uh, thought that there would be discussion and debate and people would try to refute the idea the way science is supposed to work. Uh, the only thing that I heard from it, I got a very complimentary, a highly complimentary letter from the woman who discovered the inner core of the mm. earth, Inga Lehmann, but the whole science community was silent. It was as if I had not published the paper. And then when my NASA grant that funded that came up for renewal, it wasn't renewed for no good reason. Oh, no. So I was excommunicated because my, my, my employment depended on the grant. So I, uh, I had several choices. One, I could capitulate and sing the the, the, the party storyline, and maybe I could get some funding. Uh, or I could just disappear. But the other possibility was since I knew I was on to something really important, I decided I would just do science part time at my own expense. And that's what I've done ever since. And so I'm not beholding to anyone. Now, this idea of the inner core being something different—what that actually meant—and I learned further on, it meant that the Earth formed in a different way than the the whole planetary science community thinks. I mean, if you watch any of the uh, uh, public radio, public television broadcasts, they they show particles condensing out in the regions and gathering up and forming uh, rocks and bigger rocks and boulders, then planetesimals, and these are all colliding. Finally, you have a planet, then that has to go whole, melt totally, Mm -hmm. so it'll have a core. Well, there was a different way, and this is uh, a way I learned from solid science, namely that the Earth formed as a giant gaseous protoplanet from this primordial matter. And the, the fir- at the high pressures and high temperatures, the first thing to condense is liquid iron. So it goes to the center and makes the core of the planet before the, the other materials coalesce around it. And if it totally condenses, then you have a planet like Jupiter with a 300 Earth mass gas shell, high gases and ices. And this is the way the Earth forms. And when the sun ignited, the thermonuclear ignitions ignite. That's a very violent process. And it's like super, super solar winds that just swept away the the gases of the planet. And uh, also had um, uh, swept away part of the planet Mercury. Deposited it out in the asteroid belt. But... uh, what was remained after the gases were blown away was a was a planet a rocky planet our our rocky planet but only about two-thirds the current diameter it was compressed there's a great deal of energy of compression protoplanetary compression that was stored in this beast and over time the planet began to decompress But in order to decompress, it had to do one of two things, either the lost heat, you know, when you compress something it gets hot, Mm -hmm. and that heat was lost. So either that heat had to be resupplied, or it would get cold, and if it got cold, it would impede the decompression. Well, one of the other things that came out of this better understanding of the way the world is, in 1993, I used Fermi's nuclear reactor theory to demonstrate the feasibility of a nuclear reactor at the center of the Earth. And I've published numbers of papers on that, and there are two actual lines of evidence in support of that. Uh, The helium that comes out of volcanoes, Oak Ridge National Laboratory, results showed that the composition of the helium produced by the geo-reactor would be essentially the same as what's coming out of the volcanoes. And now people are measuring anti-neutrinos coming from out of the Earth, and they would love to refute the idea, but they couldn't. They tried to suppress it, but they couldn't. You see, Mm anti-neutrinos come about from uh in two ways they come about from radioactive decay like from uranium decaying into various steps down to lead and they come about from nuclear fission so
1: what a fascinating uh theory there yeah by J. Marvin Hurden what what are your thoughts Vince
2: my thoughts are that Modern science may be wrong about the formation of our planets, in my opinion, Mm. as well as so many other things when it comes to even things that you'd think they'd have nailed down, like simple geology and things like this, where I think that we're miles away from the truth on a lot of it. I think it's possible that the core core of the Earth might be a, a nuclear fusion source, like a sun, if you will. And that's kind of what he's saying, is it not?
1: Um, yeah, he's saying that it formed out of uh, uh, condensed gases um, and through a process of nuclear fusion. And that at the center of each planet is a nuclear fusion reaction actually going on, and the basis of this is the helium-3 that's given off by volcanic eruptions, which, I mean, it, it's not a dumb theory. Um, it's actually probably better than the current theories and models that we have today. Um, yeah. But but I tend to look for um, more of a kind of geometric geometrical (laughs) geometrical geometrical Uh, yeah geometrical type of approach to things Mm -hmm. um when so just like when i i went into that cave and i saw the wooden skeleton key when i think of the creation of the planets what i think about Mm -hmm. are distributions of gases at various different nodal points of a kind of like sound octave right so imagine like a wave Okay, pulsating out, right? And that wave makes ripples through time and space. Okay, And it carries with it from that center, which is condensed gases, various particulates of matter. And those particulates of matter begin forming in those different node points of that mm-hmm. gravitational wave. And as the sun begins to coalesce and start forming and goes into its fission process, the oscillation of those waves gets less... And less, and less, and less, and less, and it starts coming to a stable high resonance, a high stable resonance, to where that gravity field that was now wh- that was first waving back and forth like this is now stabilized. But now you have all this debris particulate from all those gases extended out amongst that gravitational field, or what we call the um, the heliopause, right? And they start coalescing at the same oscillatory rate of the distance away from the sun that they are at. And you're going to have that at certain. So let's say that the sun is vibrating at a G. And so okay. you're going to have various derivations of notes at a distance to Mercury, at a distance to Earth. And so you're mm. going to get perfect thirds, perfect fifths, per, perfect seventh, so forth, so That's, on and so forth. That's so Yeah. And so, because of the oscillation of the sun stabilizes it in resonance, what happens is is you get these nodal points from that oscillation to the heliopause that begin to condense and formulate planets through all that matter that's all there. And then their gravity takes over and you got planetary formation.
2: Oh, that's fascinating.
1: At least that's what I saw.
2: Yeah, man. Wow. This makes my mind go to like little conspiratorial things like, um, have you heard that there's like large freshwater oceans underneath salt- saltwater o- oceans and things like this? And I actually like modern science says that the earth's core is round and then you've got other round sections of different materials around that until you get to the crust and then us, right? But uh well, the mantle the mantle and the crust, but
1: beneath the earth ancient ocean floor likely to surround the core.
2: Right, and then what about like there might be open space down there? What if there is a little sun in there? And then you start thinking of inner Earth theory, and holy smokes, don't yeah. get us started! You know, you never know though what's under there. It's so massive and vast. It's probably more massive yeah. and vast than we can imagine. I've talked about um, this before, and it's quite trippy theory. Mm-hmm. That
1: what if the whole the whole NASA lies and the secrets, the whole flat Earth psyop. Okay. The whole mystery between uh, from Antarctica, the biggest secret, the reason we see UFOs in the sky and nobody wants to disclose what they are is because the earth is really hollow and that there's a civilization living in the earth. And but this gets better. Okay. Giants, elves, all these, they live in middle earth. Right. But here's the thing in the universe, throughout all the planets, all the planets are hollow. And that's where life actually thrives and starts. Is if, in the center of the earth. And humanity was kicked out a long time ago and sent oh. to the surface to live, because the surface is much more dangerous. And they just occasionally come and keep an eye on
2: us. And Bigfoot lives down there.
1: And he takes us through his portals down there.
2: Yeah. And the rogue Big Bigfoot, or like the explorer Bigfoot, that's when you see them, is when they come from their underworld. And uh, come to the surface, but also, I've heard a theory that the Earth's core isn't that sphere, and that it's actually kind of oblong or misshapen. Well, oh, it's an oblate that, spheroid. I don't even think that's the case. I think it has more. Uh, I think it's less spherical than even that. Possibly, well, of course. When, I'm just talking. It,
1: like when, when you look at the um, the Earth's shape. Um, let me see if I can find it. It's uh, th- there's like a geothermal depiction of they actually took of the earth and mm-hmm. it's pretty crazy.
2: Um, earth shaped like a pear. Jesse says maybe, but yeah, I remember reading something in the last year about the core of the earth being uh, Here we go misshapen.
1: Well, these are what this is kind of what the earth really looks like in the sense of, of how it's formed. See all the deformities.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's yeah, it,
1: something. It completely changes your whole perspective on it, huh?
0: hmm
1: But, I, I mean, as for the core... You know, and, until we get down there, we're really never going to know. But I, I think that hollow earth theory could definitely be a possibility. And, it, and here's the thing about hollow earth theories: it explains everything. It explains all the different conspiracy. It explains the Nazi conspiracies. It explains why they they created the flat Earth psyop. Why they, um, you know, NASA lies. All this stuff. Um, it explains all the 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 drone technology that we see that people are saying are. Um, Aliens, are UFOs and aliens, right? Like, and why they want to disclose it. It it, it explains the real, the real society. It explains the whole New World Order aspect that we're being taken over by an entity that is kind of like in our realm, but not in our realm. It, it All explains, of this stuff is explained by
2: it. It explains mythological creatures and elves and giants and Bigfoots and extinct animals. It explains...
1: A lot of weird stuff. It it does. And then humanity was kicked out of the garden. Oh my God. And when they got up here, they were so mad that they said, Oh, we we forsaken (laughs) the, the fallen angels to the depths of hell, the center of the earth.
2: I wonder what we did. If that was the case,
1: (laughs) who knows, but I'm just saying, it's just a theory. I mean, it's just, a. I
2: love that theory. I had never, that's never crossed my mind. And it's a fantastic theory.
1: Well, maybe we'll talk about it tonight on Fringe After Dark so that we
2: get us yes. that way. I'm down, dude.
1: Yeah, it's pretty pretty novel to think of it that way, right? Um, but I mean, like I said, the whole picture, the whole idea of reality could be much stranger than you could ever imagine. And what if that's what it was? Is that silly earthlings, you know. Beans don't live on the surface of the planet. We live in the middle of the planet. Come on now.
2: <laughs> right. Man. The entrance the entrance is in Antarctica. Yeah. That's why we're banned from going there for the most part. If we could raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, we could do an expedition and that would be awesome. But, uh... Cool.
1: <laughs> okay. I'm going to look real skinny in this one. Um. But uh, we got time, I think, for one more. So, sure. so we're gonna we're gonna have time for one more. So let's listen to this one. This is Mark Seifer, and this is a talk about
3: Nikola Tesla's good one. had written another book about avatars. An avatar is a uh, uh, an enlightened being who comes to the earth. To help us out jesus is an obvious case of an avatar i make the case of Lobsang sang is an avatar and there was another guy that she says in her book was an avatar his name was nikola tesla hmm. tesla she said was born on the planet venus landed in the mountains of yugoslavia 1950 in 1856 came to our world to give our world uh the induction motor a hydroelectric power system fluorescent lights our remote control robots hmm. uh vertical takeoff airplanes and on and on. Uh, and his name is Tesla. I'm thinking, this I thought Rob, this story was crazy, but this is even crazier. So no if there was one guy who invented all this stuff, I would have heard of him. So I'm in the New York Public Library. I said, Well let me look. I find an article written by by Tesla from about nineteen oh five on high frequency phenomena. I'm going, well wow, he really lived So I go home, got back back to Rhode Island I say to Howard, I said, I discovered this guy uh, Nikola Tesla. He said, Oh, yeah, Tesla. So he gives me O'Neill's biography written in 1944. And he gives me another book called Tesla and the Venusian Spaceship. But Tesla was still alive 140 years old, traveling around the Earth in a UFO landing in this guy off in Matthew's backyard. Those are the two books that I start <laughs> with. One of the interesting things about the Matthews book, though, it had Tesla's entire autobiography. You couldn't find this autobiography anyplace else before it was now it's all over the place yeah. on the internet but in 1976 it was great information so i the only way you could get more books on tesla was to go to a ufo organization it was called health research and i got the book of his patents it's a thousand pages it's called tesla's lectures articles and patents and i find a hundred patents on induction motors um, and hydroelectric what the basis of hydro- Electric power system, mm-hmm. wireless communication, oscillators, fluorescent lights, all of that stuff. And all of his articles. And I'm going to hell with Wilhelm Reich. I'm going to contest mm. it because Reich, you don't know whether or not orgoned energy is real or where it's you know, where it's fake, it's real. Yeah. But these are real patents. So I now want to find out is he really the inventor of the radio? Is he really the inventor of the hydroelectric power system? Is he really the inventor of fluorescent lights? Is he really the inventor of the induction motor? So I go into the heart and soul of each of these inventions, and there's a lot of negative energy against Tesla. Even right now, I'm dealing with the IEEE, e has got a guy in there who's writing these negative articles on Tesla. Uh, but there was tons of it in the 1970s. And I made him the subject of my doctoral dissertation. And the point of the art of the, the doctoral dissertation was, uh, what happened? Uh, I established that he really is the primary inventor behind all these inventions, and um and his name disappeared why did his name disappear that was the, the heart and soul of it and that got morphed into a uh, wizard life and times of Nikola tesla and it got published first in 1996 and it's been literally a bestseller ever since and it's more popular today than it was 20 years ago
1: wow uh man i gotta get mark back on the show
3: oh he's uh he's dude. awesome that was such a great
2: episode What are your thoughts there? I love Tesla.
1: My thoughts, uh, he mentioned Wilhelm Reich and Nikola Tesla, and my thoughts on those two guys are that pre-1950 scientists were absolutely phenomenal, and they had all of this stuff that we're talking about now figured out, and they understood it very well. This happened before technological suppression, and uh, Nikola Tesla – um, and, and these aren't rumors about Nikola Tesla. These are legitimate um, facts about Nikola Tesla. Is that Nikola Tesla had a photographic memory? Um, but actually, you you would call it a videographic memory, not a photographic. Wow. Memory. And that he was able. And so, did you did you know the story about how he was born?
2: I don't think so. I may have heard it, but no. Go for it. Remind he was me. Born
1: in a thunderstorm.
2: Uh, I think I had heard that. I don't remember the all the details. The
1: uh, electricity and lightning. His, uh, um, he almost died when he was a kid, and and the thunderstorm came. Uh, really weird stuff. Um, hmm. but he had a videographic memory. So what he yeah. would do is he would, so he never would like blueprint out his things. He would build them in his mind. So he would build like a a AC motor in his mind, and he'd put all the parts together. And then he would start it up and he would let it run for 15 hours in his mind and watch how it reacted and he would watch the voltage outputs and everything like that. And then he would build on the scale directly from what it was inside of his mind. And so he would run these things to the so he would run them for you know 80,000 hours in his mind, speeding it up, speeding it up, and seeing what the breakdown of the components and stuff like that would look like. And this is how mm-hmm. he built his things. And this is why a lot of people like Mark was saying, a lot of people wrote negative articles because they say, Oh no, it wasn't Nikola Tesla who did the AC uh, three phase motor is uh, a guy by the name of uh, Steinmetz that actually built that no Steinmetz reversed engineered it from Nikola Tesla. Cause Nikola Tesla never had any engineering designs as to how to build it. But the things that I'll, the other things that Nikola Tesla did, um, a lot of people hear a lot of rumors like Nikola Tesla talk about flat earth. He never talked about firmament or flat Earth. That's absolute garbage and bullshit. Um, the whole three, six, nine thing is absolutely true. Um, he was obsessed with the number three, three. Um, if people ever see the, 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 the three, six, nine mathematical toroidal thing, that was not Nikola Tesla. Okay. I will stop you right there. That was 1992. A guy by the name of Marco Roden from studying Nikola Tesla. Developed what he called the rodent cycle. And this is known as Tesla mathematics now. Um, it has everything to do with Nikola Tesla. It Maybe Nikola Tesla used it. Sure, something similar. Medical guy. Nikola Tesla disagreed with Einstein. He believed that a lumiferous ether, um, he believed that there was a field that existed, that existed around all of us. And this is where my primary theories come from as well that there was a A field that existed all around us that is almost – it it has no context whatsoever. But when you interact in the field, it has various reactions. Those reactions are gravity, electricity, magnetism, pressure. These types of things happen when you do that. So – and I think he was spot on. And he was able to harness massive amount of electrical energy that is just ambient within the static nature of our, uh, of, our of our reality. So, um, and, and I mean, he even he even said that he communicated with beings on Mars and was sending communications back when yeah. he was in Colorado Springs, and they said, "No, you did," and he's like, "Yes, I did." Like he said
2: that he had ways to communicate faster than the speed of light through space. Yeah, so wild
1: man we're going to have this conversation to that
2: end. brain of his is remarkable because even our best technology now our computers yeah trying to run a simulation there are so many variables different materials heat friction all this stuff even with a, our best software it's challenging and glitchy and it misses stuff right like this is just mad i it's really phenomenal to imagine that the brain's capable of such things well, in Nikola Tesla, I mean, an absolute genius.
1: And I, I just wish we would have another reincarnation of him.
2: That even have a
1: really high-pitched voice.
2: <laughs> I love that kid. He's awesome. uh, Einstein even said that Tesla was a damn genius. Uh, that's not a direct quote, but something along those lines.
1: So Einstein, this is a real quote that Einstein was asked, how does it feel to be the smartest man in the world? He says, I don't know. You'd have to go ask Mr. Tesla.
2: Boom,
1: and that's because Nikola Tesla, in the New York circuit and the big socialite circle in New New York, was an absolute rock star. Everybody in the socialite circles, even in the 30s, wanted to meet and hang out with Nikola Tesla, the genius of electricity. And so he had met Einstein quite a few times within those circles.
2: Because Einstein, yeah, can you imagine impressing Einstein? Holy smokes!
1: Well, and who knows? Maybe Einstein was influenced a little bit by him, I'm because sure. you know they say that the Michelson-Morley experiment is what basically determined there was no luminiferous ether. Um, although the Michelson-Morley Morley experiment wasn't done in space, it was done here on, on the ground surface level, and, on, and this really would have showed like what's known as uh, um, atmospheric drift or cosmic drift. That okay. that if you're if the planet's moving. In a field, and that field has just a subtle point of resistance, you're going to have very, you're going to be able to detect that resistance. And this is what the Michelson Morley experiment was about. Um, in 1992, when the first geopositioning satellites went up in space, what they realized is that these G- uh, GPS satellites were losing orbit. Okay. And they didn't know why. Decay. Well, he had orbital decay, but the orbital decay was already calculated into him. They didn't understand what was happening with these. What they found out later on is that they were were experiencing a subtle resistance in space due to their trajectory around the planet. They calculated this, and it was exactly what Michelson and Morley predicted the resistance would be from the luminiferous ether.
2: Oh, interesting. So he proved himself wrong.
1: Well, so no, Michelson and Morley, two people.
2: Oh, two right,
1: days. right, but a hundred years earlier. Hundred years earlier is why. A um, hundred years earlier is why they were told they were wrong because they weren't in space to actually
2: get there. Okay, I've got to do we, some research into that because that's interesting. I used to work in metrology, and to think you're going to sense this field that probably is undetectable—it's probably beyond any sensors that we have—is just kind of laughable to me, uh, and, and interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, it could still be there just because your sensors or whatever, didn't pick it up it's silly, but, uh, interesting. Yeah. When about what stood that, uh, experimentation go on? Uh, Michaelson-Morley, Morley, 1903, I believe it was. Um,
1: but think about how Einstein might've been influenced by this is Einstein, you know, he basically came out with a non-ether theory of the universe, right? right. And he says there's this thing called space-time. Well, what the hell do you think space-time is? It's exactly that. It's, just, it's nothing more than a, an ether with absolutely no properties other than spatial dimensionality and a temporal dimensionality, which we call space-time, which is the three dimensions and one dimension of added time.
2: Oh, man that's the problem with modern science is it's been so corrupt for so long just like uh what was that who was the guest who mentioned that they rejected the uh I have it right here uh Marvin Marvin herndon was talking yeah. about how they rejected his theories and they didn't even have a scientific debate over it or say where he's off or anything they just kind of wiped it clean and took away his funding and that's it and that's that this stuff has been going on forever. And I think that there has to be some forgetting in order for us to move forward, because I think there might be things clouding our judgment that maybe aren't actually true. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, what if Einstein was wrong because he was misled by these previous scientists and he just said, Hey, I believe I trust the science, if you will. That's well, I think that,
1: I think that Einstein wasn't really that smart. <laughs> I think that, uh well, so My father's boss at one of the first companies he worked at called um, Health Designs Incorporated, which developed a uh, molecular modeling software known as TopCat 5.0, which has only had one licensed buyer throughout Mm -hmm. the entire world, which was Fort Dedrick um, Bio and Chemological Warfare Laboratory. (laughs) Kind of interesting. But this guy's name, he's still alive today. His last name was Ensline, and he moved here from Germany after World War II, and they changed their name from Einstein to Ensline. Oh. and his uh his uncle was albert einstein and he talks about this in the sense that um einstein's wife was the mathematical genius who actually figured out a lot of the geometry of special and general relativity and that einstein was really just a thinker that uh, kind of extrapolated the thoughts and the ideas and that wow. she's the one that put it all together um so i mean there's there's this idea that einstein really wasn't as smart as people really think he was. He was an abstract thinker, absolutely, but maybe he was wrong. And I think there, there's a lot of correlation to that because we're seeing with the Jane Webb Telescope today that uh, a lot of what they propose in the sense of cosmology is actually wrong. And uh, the universe is far bigger um, than we can ever imagine. Actually, I, there was this video with Neil deGrasse Tyson, and I'm, I, I, I like Neil deGrasse Tyson for a few things, and I don't like him for a few things, right? I think sure. that I would love to have him on a conversation. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Love no to doubt. have him on a conversation. But there's this one that he talks about, and it's an eye-opening, mind-blowing um, thought. And he's spot on right. And if I can find the TikTok, I'm going to bring it up and play it. If I can, I'll explain it to you the best that I can explain it. So let me let me look here and see if I can find it. Uh, We found giants. We went too far. (laughs) We've gone too (laughs) far to the rabbit hole. Well, it sucks because like on your TikTok, if you like something, like that's all hidden from everybody. But it doesn't show all of your likes. It only shows a selected amount of likes. Right? So kind of crappy on that. It's always cool when people are – Posting clips of our shows on there. I love that. I love that.
2: Thank you, guys. Yeah, Thanks, Lolo, for
1: posting that clip on there and and a few
2: other people, too, uh, on on TikTok. Let me see if I can find Neil deGrasse Tyson. I love it when I just find myself randomly. I'm like, hey. There it is. Okay. This
1: is called the, The Universe Mystery That Keeps Neil deGrasse Tyson Up at Night.
5: Check this out. Over this fact, okay? Can I share this? I don't want—I don't want to be I blamed. I doubt I could stop you. I don't—I <laughs> I don't want to be blamed if Do you it. cannot get to sleep tonight. No, I'll, I'll be okay. Okay. All right. So, this dark energy in the future will render the universe so large, having accelerated so significantly that all the galaxies of the night sky will have accelerated beyond our horizon. What? And and all the galaxies are the source of our knowledge of cosmology of the Big Bang. Everything we know about the history of the universe comes to us from these galaxies. If they accelerate beyond our horizon, the next generation of cosmic explorers will only have the stars of the Milky Way to think about. And I, so there there would have been an entire chapter of the universe ripped from their view. And they will be trying to contemplate an understanding of the universe without a significant part of what its past was. And so I lose sleep wondering today, was there some previous chapter ripped from the universe itself? And here we are. <laughs> and here we are, you know, touching the elephant, try- not knowing that, in fact, there's an elephant standing there. Or maybe. There's the shadow of the elephant and the elephant has been moved. We don't know what we don't know. And this leaves me awake at night. I lose sleep over that.
1: We don't know what we don't know. He must have been watching my show or something. So what he's talking about is dark matter is actually expanding. And that they propose that if dark matter continues expanding the way it is, it curves the universe. When you curve the universe, you get a horizon that forms, which means that all the things that we can see in the night sky in the sense of the stars become settled on a horizon and everything else goes under because the universe is expanding so large. He proposed that. What if this has already happened? That the universe that we're looking at is simply the horizon that sits on the ocean. And there's a whole other perspective of the universe on the other side. Yeah, and I think he's that, right. I think he's that'll right.
2: blow your mind. That'll blow your mind.
1: Wow. I think he's right on this perspective that really what we're seeing as the, uh, the 92 billion light years across for the, the universe is actually a mm-hmm. horizon. Hmm. It's, it's infinite, man. It's infinite for sure. It's infinite. But hey, guys, that's all we have for you tonight here on the Red Pill Project Conversations on the Fringe. If you guys want to join us for Fringe After Dark, we're going to be heading over there in about 25 minutes. 25 minutes from now, we're going to be heading over the Fringe After Dark. Um, The the chat is open right now. So if you go to socialredpill.com, you scan that. You can go on the browser, open it up, or you can download the Mighty Networks app and get it as well, socialredpill.com. But if you go to the Events tab, you'll see Social Red Pill Zoom. You guys can join in there. And I'm pretty sure uh, just Jim and a few other people are already down there because they probably didn't watch the show tonight, Mike Falou. But uh, <laughs> it, see, here's the thing. If you watch the show, we'll <laughs> he'll call me out on that.
2: We'll ask him. No, no, you know. don't have to ask him because if, oh. he,
1: if he's listening to the show, he'll call me out on that.
2: Oh, okay, okay, but, I, see, ah, I see. But I see.
1: <laughs> so go on over there. It's in the events tab. You'll see Social Red Pill Zoom. Just click on that. It'll bring up the Zoom link. You can join that. I'll be there in about 25 minutes. Everybody's invited, so you guys have a great night. Be on over there. Um, I'm going to go ahead and open it up right here and give special privileges to people. So we have moderators in there. Um, but much love, respect. God bless you guys. You guys take care. Have a great night. Happy Good Friday. Happy Easter, everybody. Uh, all events for Red Pill Project are canceled to this weekend. So there's going to be no crypto mastermind. There's going to be no Red Pill Preppers because it is Easter. But Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday special broadcast. 8 Eastern the 9 p m Eastern on Rumble on the Red Pill Project channel so make sure you're subscribed over there um it'll be myself probably Vince maybe we'll maybe we'll have a guest or something but we'll be on there talking about the week to come who knows what we're going to discuss but we'll be doing a special broadcast on Rumble Sunday night so much love respect god bless you guys you guys take care have a great night and we'll talk to you here soon
4: Either we will get the full cooperation of other governments to stop this menace or we will expose every bribe, every kickback, every payoff, and every bit of corruption that is allowing the cartels to preserve their brutal reign. And it is indeed brutal.
3: And uh, they call me I patch the game. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it's, I, I haven't, look.